Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Well, we're in the book of Galatians, uh, week number four. And... um, You know, as I talk to Tyler and Jordan and Brenda, and uh, as we've talked about this, the book of Galatians, the writings of Paul, we we looked at this and the, the challenge was rather daunting at times because Paul kind of, um, his word is so strong to the church in Galatia. And he's like, what is going on with you guys? And he keeps kind of coming back to the same themes over and over. And isn't that true the way that we also need to be hearing things at times? Like sometimes we need to hear it from multiple angles. And, uh, and so you've heard it from multiple voices over the course of the last number of weeks. This is week number four, and we're in Galatians 4 if you'd like to turn to that. Uh, recently, uh, in fact, last week, Brenda and I were having this conversation about, um, well, she asked me about the voice of authority in my life. Like, um, uh, I think specifically it was about, do you hear any negative, like, is there any negative residue from the voice of your parents in your life? I thought, well, that's an interesting question. Here I am, pushing 60, and... Uh, I had to think a little bit. I'm like, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think that whatever negative was there, um, you know, over time, sometimes when we're in high school or middle school, the voice of our parents is like a pain in the brain. Like it is just like, oh, I got to hear that one more time. But over time, a lot of what they said was true. And a lot of it, um, they said out of their own places of pain and hurt. And so it's become this thing that, that I could answer, no, I don't think so. So I wonder about you this morning. Is there residue from your past? Do your parents, is that voice, that negative thing that your mom said to you one time when you were a little kid, can you still hear it? Can you still hear that? What about the teachers? Man, when I, when I go down the list of people that have authority in my life, that have, that have had influence in my life, Man, I can tick those people off. Like, I mean, just tell you, they're mentors, they're employers, they're pastors, people that have had influence in my life and I bet in your life as well. Like, you can remember some things that were said that are still hanging on to you, that probably give you some angst as you think about that. Well, as, as humans, we chafe at rules, don't we? That's why sometimes as middle school kids and high school students, we sometimes, and as adults, quite frankly, we chafe at rules or rule makers, and we tend to rebel against the authorities that have been put in place. And then our rebellion sometimes leads to suspicion of anyone that has any sort of authority over us. We lose trust. We think they don't, they don't have our best intentions in mind. We don't believe they are for us. They're just making things difficult. Sometimes we think they're just drunk on power. Maybe they are. Maybe we should talk about who you're voting for on Tuesday. No. 
You know, rules and laws, they are all part of life. In the ancient days and then in today, modern day, we need rules, we need structure. They give structure, they give order to what would otherwise be complete chaos and confusion. What Paul is addressing with the Galatians and what we want to talk about today is what happens when we give more credence to a particular belief system or set of rules than what is actually beneficial and good for us and how all of this intersects with our basic human need for approval, for love, for community, and where exactly we go to find it. So whose voice has power in your life? Whose voice has influence? In Galatians, Paul asks, who told you? Who told you this? What is wrong with you? Who misled you? Why did you listen? In Galatians 4, Paul's all about like, you were free. You are free. Who told you otherwise? So we want to pick it up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. So if you want to turn to there, uh, it's also going to be on the screen. But, but Paul is like, in Galatians 3, verse 28, he's like, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me remind you. Let me remind you who you are. Let me just remind you of your identity. If you're from the church world, you've heard the term, it's all level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. Jesus has come for all of us. He has come for our redemption, for our restoration, for our transformation. That is not different for me than it is for you. He's come for us all. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We're all at the same place. And here, Paul says, hey, you guys, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Take race out of the picture. I don't care about that. Jesus doesn't care about your race. He sees you all the same. He sees us all the same. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Paul's saying, forget about social status. It's irrelevant in the kingdom of God. There is no longer male and female. So it doesn't matter what sex you are. All that matters is that your heart is aligned with God. For you are all one in Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is who you are. Let me remind you, Paul says, here is who you are. And now let me tell you why. Here is why. Here is why you are all of those things. In Galatians 4, Verse four, but when the right time came, here's why Paul says, when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out. And he says, Abba, when he, that's the Aramaic for father, Abba, father. Now you no longer, now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Through Christ, the action of Christ, we are now heirs to the kingdom of God. 
Before you Gentiles knew God, Paul says, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. Before you knew you were slaves to so-called gods. We could say before we were saved, before we come, came into the knowledge of all that God has for us, before we came into a right standing with Jesus, we all had a whole bunch of little idols that we worshiped. I wonder if some things are coming to mind even now. What are those things in your life that perhaps still have a hold on you? And, and yet, he's, Paul says, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. Paul's like, I fear for you. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you, Gentiles, free from those laws. Okay, so there's been some, some debate. Let's break this down a little bit. Uh, there's been a debate about what Paul means by basic spiritual principles. He says this in, um, in verse 9. He says, uh, you become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. But it seems he's referring to the basic elements that the ancient world saw as making up the world. So like earth, fire, air, uh, water. Uh, these have been associated with the gods since the beginning of uh, civilization. In Paul's time, though, it seems that he might have been expanding this to also include uh, the sun, moon, stars, and planets, all of them associated with gods or goddesses that regulated the calendar year. And so they regulated these, these things, these, these, this worship of the different gods would be associated with the great pagan festivals throughout the year. In Paul's mind, these gods were demonic. And this is what the Galatians would have been in bondage to. This is what they would have lost their freedom to prior to hearing the gospel. Now today, you and I, we may look at this and we may go, well, yeah, we don't, we don't, um, we don't do all that. But I wonder if you read the horoscope or I wonder if you, um, and this seems so bizarre to say, consult a medium. Have you, have you done these are all ways that we, uh, we blatantly put our trust in something else. We sort of give ourselves. We think maybe they're harmless, that they're harmless and that, well, we've, we've always done these sorts of things. This has been handed down. It's the way we've always done it. But it's really good for us to reconsider what is right, what is good, what is godly, and not just make general assumptions about how then we shall live. This is an important process for all generations to go through. We should engage in this process of re-evaluating what we do. What are those things that we're giving ourselves to? We should reconsider what is right and good and lovely. You know, it's been said that most spiritual growth comes through unlearning. Like unlearning everything that the world and even religion has taught us that is in direct conflict 
with the teaching of Jesus. Like being compelled to a certain rule of life, developing and uh, exercising the fruit of the Spirit is really where true freedom is. Against such things there is no law. But it's a process of unlearning and being cleansed from all unrighteousness. Think about all, these, all the things, the, the beliefs, the assumptions you've had to unlearn as you began into, to lean into the way of Jesus. I'll tell you, like in my, in my experience, uh, this is an ongoing, never quite arriving exercise of continuing to be aware of my thought process. We are called to have a renewed mind as followers of Jesus, but a renewed mind will only uh, renew to the extent that we give ourselves to the process of renewal. If we just continued in the same patterns, we become slaves to the very things that that God has made, made the way for us to be free from. But if we stay in those patterns, we will continue living in ways that are enslaving us. The way that says, blessed are those who are merciful, whose hearts are pure, who work for peace, who are persecuted for doing right. This is the way that is the kingdom of heaven way. See, a Christian, you and I, as we follow Jesus, We have new affections. We develop new ways of thinking. We, our heart is inclined to new things. We have a kingdom mindset. We have a changed heart. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter four, says, uh, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Things. This is the characteristic of a renewed mind. Sometimes I think that many of us uh, look at following Jesus as a means of avoiding the, like you have to uh, avoid the wicked things that you really want to do. And you do uh, the righteous things that we kind of wish we didn't have to do. We sort of comply, uh, we comply with the things that we uh, know we should do in order to manipulate our final destination and hopefully uh, gets us into heaven. You know, if that's our MO, uh, we're just a lost religious person enslaved and in bondage to rule keeping and religion rather than relationship. Let me say that again. If our MO is that we're just going to do the things we have to do in order to manipulate our situation enough to get into heaven. If that's our MO, we're just a lost religious person, enslaved and in bondage to rule keeping and religion rather than relationship. Honestly, we're living as slaves with a moral obligation instead of a divine revelation. We're living as slaves with a moral obligation. We're doing things because we feel like we're obligated to do them. See, when, when you have a divine revelation, you begin to live out of a place of love instead of obligation. Uh, the words from, from John 15, when Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you guys, you're my friends. 
You're my friends. If you do what I command. Before that, he had, he had urged them to love each other as he has loved them. This is his urging for us this morning. Love each other as I have loved you. This isn't a surface romantic, nice kind of, like a romantic sort of love that he's talking about. He's talking about the depth of our, uh, to the depth of our being, we love each other through all the bad, through all the good, through all the things that can turn us left and right. We stay that middle path and we love each other deeply because he has first loved us. So he says, you're my friends, guys. If you do what I command, you're my friends. So there's an action that's required from us. He says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. When you move from slavery to friendship, you get revelation. I no longer call you slaves. You are my friends. I'm going to reveal to you the Father's heart for you. You know, I think the question for us, like we kind of understand this. Like this thing of obligation and slavery and then this, this revelation that occurs when we move into friendship. But how do we live a sustained life of freedom from all that would enslave us? Like all the things that we're compelled to sort of allow ourselves to get back into slavery with. How do we keep our heads straight? How do I keep all of myself aligned with the way of Jesus? So we often pray, and you heard Tammy this morning, we, we, we believe in, in complete physical healing. We do. And we often pray for that. We pray for healing. We pray for, uh, you know, in the process of praying for healing, essentially what we're doing is let me live a long life. Let me live a long life with minimal suffering. Let me have an easier road. Often that is what we are praying for. We pray for healing. We pray for longevity. We pray for freedom from sickness. And when we do, you know, uh, I have to assume that we don't want to be enslaved by all manner of behaviors and patterns and practices. And yet I have lots of conversations with you all and I have a lot of conversations with people outside of this congregation and I know that many of us are living with unfulfilled intentions. We intend to do all these things in life. We intend to do good. We intend to connect with people at a deep level. And yet if, if we were to take a poll of all of us, Many of us would say that we are not living up to our potential. We're living with the unintended consequences of not living into the intentions that we have. We have good company. Paul says, the good I want to do, I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me? And he says, thank God Jesus came. 
and saves me from this dilemma. See, our prayers and petitions, they indicate that we want, like we all want more out of life. We all want to live free. We want to live long, full lives. So how do we do this? How do we remain free from the things that put us right back into bondage? Well, there's, there's, there's a couple things we could possibly do. But let me just uh, talk to you about a, a, a TED Talk study that was done in 2017. And, and the, 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 the subject that was being addressed was, how can I live, how can I live longer and how can I live better? And there's a whole list of things. And so we'll start at the bottom with the things that uh, really proved not to be uh, having a whole lot of effect on long life. And uh, surprisingly, clean air is not a thing for a long, healthy life. Long life, want to live a long life, want to have a great life, clean air is not necessarily it. If you suffer from blood pressure, uh, hypertension, medication, really, that's number two from the bottom up. Doesn't necessarily increase your life the way you think it might. If you're struggling with your weight, being lean or overweight, apparently, it doesn't have much of an effect. Exercise. In this study, even exercise. So, I'm not doing any more cardio. It's like, if that doesn't have an effect, I hate it anyway. So <laughs> cardiac rehab doesn't have all that much. Like if you have, you go through the rehab for cardiac. Comparatively speaking, it's still down about the middle of the, of the list. The flu vaccine, and this was done in 2017. So we're not even talking about the COVID vaccine. The flu vaccine didn't have that great of an impact. Drinking. Alcohol, smoking, I'm not endorsing any of that. I'm not asking you to go out and do that because it doesn't have that much of an effect on the longevity of your life, apparently. Number two, at the top of the list, number one and number two. The number two reason why this study showed that people lived and many of them lived into, uh, in, to be 100 and older in this study. And this is, this, these are the number one and number two reasons. The number two reason was close relationships. These people all had three or four people in their lives that knew them, encouraged them, were in their lives. They were not distant. They were together. They were in close fellowship with each other. Three or four people that were allowed into these lives, these, these people that lived for more than a century, three or four people, small group of people that were deeply connected relationally with these people. The number one reason, though, was social integration. Social integration. The number one reason. What do we talk about around here a lot? Hey, know your neighbor. Know the people at the restaurant. We're promoting the number one reason for longevity, which is to know your neighbor. 
know the barista's name that serves you your coffee, the grocer's name as he checks you out. Personal interaction. Those of you in the field of hospitality, you're going to live a long, long life, apparently. Number one reason, social interaction. Number two reason, close relationships. It really sounds like the Sermon on the Mount to me. It really sounds like the, the teaching of Jesus. I hope, here's what I really hope. I hope that for the sake of our physical and spiritual health and for the good of the kingdom of God, that we will reclaim the significance of gathering as the body of Christ on the regular. Let me be very clear. This does not have to do with my ego or my need to have the seats filled in this space. It has nothing to do with it. And I've dealt, I've really thought about this. So I can say this with a clear conscience. If we are going to be in close proximity with people, we need to be with people. We need to worship together. We need to invest in each other and those that are still to come because guess what? We don't believe that you all are the only people that we are to reach in our community. We believe that the hope of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom is for all people. And that means we have tens of thousands of people around us that don't yet know the peace and presence of Jesus. And so there are many more to come, we believe. We need to prioritize the gathering of the people, the gathering together. Not if it works on the calendar, but actually prioritizing it, making it a rule of life. We, the gathered church, we come together to know Jesus and our neighbor. And I'm convinced this is the primary way that you and I will live in freedom from all that would potentially enslave us in community, in relationships, both close and social. Iron sharpens iron. When we are together, we can call each other out. When we have deep relationships, we have three or four people in our lives that say, I won't put up with that crap. Like you gotta call it out. When we have that, then we become better people. We become more like Jesus in the process. So I'm calling us to live with intention with love and grace, particularly, particularly as we are among the people of the world around us, the weary fellow travelers on this journey that we're on, this life journey, it is difficult, it is hard. We never know what the other person is going through. They may all look all put together, but inside they're crumbling. And we don't know that unless we're intentional with our relationships. So let us help each other live fully. Let's love fully and give ourselves to each other and to Jesus. Would you stand with me? This morning, I want to, uh, I want to just like, 
I want us to give some thought to this and to consider who or what has influence in your life. What voice has power in your life? Who told you? Who told you? Or who is telling you? The prayer team is going to be uh, up front during um, this last part of the message of the, of the service, and I'd encourage you to come. And, um, you know, uh, this might be the very way that you begin to uh, step into a relationship with someone that you don't yet know by actually letting them pray for you as you come. If there are those things in your life that you know that you're enslaved by, and we've all got stuff. We really do. What is it that keeps you from being aligned with people, other people, and with Jesus? Because when we're out of alignment with other people, when their belief system doesn't match up with ours, we can get, we can get sideways pretty quickly. So evaluate this morning as we sing together and as we continue to worship. Where do you find yourself? So, uh, forgiveness is a, is a strong component of this. So maybe I'll just loft that question as well. Who in your life do you need to lean into forgiveness? Who needs to hear from you? What's Jesus saying to you right now? Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.